0: So good things are happening across the country um, and uh, I just am blessed. Now, we are in the book of Esther um, and it'll be timely. Uh, I'm so thankful for how God has been speaking to my heart through the Anchored series and the word of God. If you need a Bible, these folks walking down the aisles will give you one. Esther, Esther, I don't have the clicker, you got it? Yeah, all right, Esther. And um, we're actually gonna go through the entire book of Esther um, quickly. It's gonna be a flyover. You guys, you know, Calvary chapels are known for, for verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We're just gonna uh, just go book. Um, but I, I do wanna give you, um, for our reading, uh, we're gonna stand in a moment, kind of the, the heart of it all, which is found in Esther chapter four. Um, and, and for those of you who've never read the book of Esther, it's a fascinating book. Um, we just finished going through Ezra and Nehemiah we took a look at Cyrus, remember the Cyrus cylinder? And we looked at this man who delivered uh, and, and in a sense gave the Jews uh, 5,400 uh, gold and silver items that had been stolen from the temple, let them go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and the wall and the city itself. So now we move forward uh, and, and Cyrus has passed away. Um, his daughter, has married a man whose name I've forgotten, but their child is now Xerxes. And Xerxes is now the king of this Persian empire that Cyrus once uh, oversaw. And Xerxes is his grandson. And uh, Xerxes has a wife, Ahasuerus, and uh, she's, um, she's a bit difficult to get along with. <laughs> I don't know, I just put that together. I. He might be difficult to get along with, but he's the king. So uh, she's removed from being the queen and um, it's kind of like an early version of The Bachelor. And uh, <laughs> so he, he puts a contest out to find another wife. And uh, Mordecai, the uncle of this woman, Esther, puts her name in the hat and uh, she presented before the king and she's finer in a new set of snow tires. She's just beautiful. And the women are passing by and, and Xerxes is taking a look at him and then Esther comes by and he goes. <laughs> and that's, that's all in the scripture here. It's right right in there. just, just one of those. <laughs> all of that there. And so uh, Esther becomes his wife and, um, and Mordecai the uncle They're both Jewish. They were part of the rebuilding. You'd had the exile, and these Jews were in exile for 200 years. They got to go back. Now, some of the Jews remained in this empire, Babylonian empire, or excuse me, Persian empire. And so Esther's one of them. Mordecai's one of them. And there's a guy named Haman. Haman's a bad dude. Haman uh, doesn't like Jews. He's anti-Semitic. Mordecai was used to, to save the king's life. And there was something nice to be done to him that never came to fruition. And then um, uh, Haman just despises Mordecai, wants him and all Jews dead. Not the first time in world history that there's been an attempt to annihilate the Jewish race. And uh, we'll cover that momentarily. But it, it boils down to a critical moment in Esther chapter four. Pastor Rick covered this last night. I I haven't listened, but I know it's gonna be good. And I don't like to listen because it depresses me when I preach. I'm like, why don't you make two of him and none of me? But um, anyhow, chapter four is kind of the pivotal point when they have to make a decision. Esther's in a place uh, where her people are about to be a a genocide. They're, They're about to be annihilated and she's in a position to make a difference now it'll, it'll cost her the queenship maybe her life uh, she could remain silent and but ultimately like they've said as um uh, martin Niemoller said first they came for the socialist and i wasn't a socialist so i said nothing then they came for uh, you know it goes down the list and then and and then they came for me and there was no one left to defend me and and so uh the idea is in a In an oligarchy, in tyranny, um, you may get along for a season by remaining silent, but they'll just eat you last. And Esther and Mordecai realize this, and Esther makes a decision in chapter four, and that's our introduction, so let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, Esther chapter four. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out, with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning, 170 provinces. I mean, this, is, this will annihilate all Jews on the face of the earth at this point because the Jewish race resides within the realm of the entirety. Uh, uh, it, the Jewish race is, exists in the realm of this empire. And uh, there's wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Verse four, so Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Halkath, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, Hathak, went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him and all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction which was given at Shushan that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth. We thank you for this ancient picture of a modern day call, one that not only fell upon Esther, which she responded in obedience and the deliverance of her people, but one that you've placed before us this very day as we're watching truckers in Canada being abused, women on walkers being trampled by horsemen, children being forced to be injected with experimental medications. And that's a difficult word to say just being injected with experimental things. We're watching more children die from this injection than from COVID itself. And now Lord, we're watching as our heroes are now being canceled and told that they're zeros. We're watching as our nation is plaguing its people, enslaving them, endangering them. And God, each of us has a role to play as Esther did on that day. God, I pray that you'd show us all what we're to do And Lord, we're so grateful that once the fear dissipates, we're unstoppable. If I perish, I perish. The only thing they can take from us is life on this earth, which means everlasting life in your presence. We're immortal until you're done with us. The only thing they can threaten us with is heaven. And so God, please, I pray that we would understand this perspective that freedom and deliverance of people is the greatest call for you've come to set the captives free. They would know the truth and the truth would set them free. We're grateful for folks folks like Jorge. We're grateful for these journalists that contend and write the truth that we would have the understanding to make these decisions. So Lord, please, through the power of your word, Holy Spirit, minister to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Haman, and you'll read this as you go through the Anchored series, Haman is a bad dude. He is actually a descendant of the Amalekites. The Amalekites uh, attacked God's people when they were exiting Egypt, and they were like wolves. They waited for the elderly and the infirm to fall back of the pack, and they would prey upon the elderly and the young and the infirmed. That angered God. God gave a command that they were to be wiped off the face of the earth. Some of you have trouble with that. I'm wondering why God hasn't said that decree for all mankind. He's been gracious and long-suffering and patient. We kill one another in the billions, and yet he allows us to continue to breathe his air, drink his water, live on his dirt, and eat his food, even though we disobey his laws. And yet God looked at the Amalekites who prayed on the elderly and the young, which is fascinating to me because that seems to be what this virus does and the injection itself, it preys on our elderly and our young. I'm angry. Now the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, so I I give it back to him. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I seek no vengeance, people are not the enemy, they're the opportunity, but I, I get so frustrated seeing our first responders abused like this, our teachers abused, our children abused. I get so frustrated by the censorship in the silence of the body of Christ across the nation in many corners, I get frustrated. And yet God is patient. He's long-suffering. He would want that none would perish, but that all would be saved. That we'd come to repentance, Repentance, and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's patient much more than me, and I suspect you as well. No? Okay, good. I just thought I was alone for a moment. (laughs) The Amalekites, however, God had had enough of. You don't mess with the elderly and the young. You don't take advantage and destroy them and kill them. The widow and the orphan are dear to the heart of the Lord. And when God said to wipe out the Amalekites, he wasn't kidding. He said, do it. And he was told by Samuel to tell Saul, wipe them out. I don't want anything existing. Saul didn't do it. He kept Agag alive. He kept all the best sheep. He, he completely disobeyed God. And when you disobey God, the thing you're unwilling to kill that God commands to be destroyed is the thing that will ultimately destroy you. And Saul found himself on the top of Mount Gilboa as the soldiers were closing in. Jonathan was dead. And as the opposing army had encircled Saul, he realized that they would abuse his body as they would do with all the kings that had been conquered. And so he tried to fall on his sword on top of Mount Gilboa and he didn't have the ability to kill himself and behind him was a man. And he turned and he said to him, kill me so that you don't abuse me. And Saul asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm an Amalekite. Fascinating. I think it was said like this, who are you? I'm an Amalekite. (laughs) He took the head of the king and brought the crown back to David. David said, where have you gotten this? He said, Saul asked me to kill him. He says, who are you to kill the Lord's anointed? And he had his men hack him to pieces. Exactly what Samuel in his 90s had done to Agag, he hacked him to pieces. God said he wanted the Amalekites removed Saul didn't do it, now the years have passed and Amalekites still exist and thus we see Haman, Haman now rises not just to kill the infirmed but to kill all the Jews. This desire to kill the Jews has arisen from this evil man, Haman. You know, it's not the first time in the history of the world that mankind, or I should say, it's not the only time in the history of the world that mankind has tried to destroy the Jews. Benjamin Disraeli, who was one of the many prime ministers that served under Queen Victoria in her lengthy reign, I think soon to be surpassed if it hasn't already been by Queen Elizabeth. Benjamin Disraeli was a Jew by birth. He wanted to serve in Parliament so his parents were concerned and His father had had a falling out in one of the synagogues and no longer became a practicing Jew, wanted to assimilate into the English culture, which was very anti-Semitic. So they had their son baptized into the Anglican faith. Benjamin Disraeli struggled because he was still treated with anti-Semitism and was picked on and ridiculed. But it was Queen Victoria who adored him and said to him at one time, why do you struggle with God so much? He said, Madam, your majesty, I think one of the greatest defenses for the existence of God is found in two words. And she said, what is this? And she said, and he said, the Jew. From ancient history to today, many nations have attempted to exterminate God's chosen people, but they still exist. And here we see one of them. Haman builds the gallows to destroy the Jews. He's been given an edict from Xerxes who is unaware that Esther is a Jew or her uncle Mordecai who saved his life. He just realizes that everyone will profit from the money that the Jews have accumulated because in honoring God's law, if you do things in accordance with his word and his will, you're blessed and you have abundance. And thus the Jews did and they flourished. And these gallows are being built and Esther looks out from her window and she sees the gallows being built. She's fasting for three days as Mordecai has brought it to her attention and she's fasting and praying because if she's going into the king unannounced, the law of the land is kill her unless he extends his scepter. This is a gutsy move. Most of the folks in that video are no longer employed and they've made a decision. That's a gutsy move. Most of those truckers in Canada will lose their vehicles and their livelihood. The ones who are going to travel our country and do the same as they bring out the National Guard, what will, what will happen? I don't know. Dr. Rake has lost his job. we have watching people canceled all over the country, teachers being canceled, the heartache and the stories I've heard, let alone what's occurred in the hospitals as we've Injected them with a rendesivir. Unbelievable increase in blood clotting across the country. We'll cover some of that momentarily. Just to state that, I'm probably now removed from YouTube. Because that's called censorship. In a nation that has a first amendment, it's violated completely. And every attempt by evil to destroy God's people has been thwarted starting with the ancient Egyptian empire who originally enslaved them and tried to kill all the male babies, the Philistines and other nations who tried to annihilate them as they arrived in Canaan, Assyria, the Babylonian empire, and the Persian empire who massacred thousands, exiled them from their land, destroyed their temple, and sometimes outlawed worship of their God. The Roman empire, the Greek empire, the Byzantine empire, the Spanish empire, the Crusaders, Nazi Germany, and Russia have all signaled singled out the Jews for persecution. And today the Jewish nation is surrounded on every border by countries who have declared their intention to destroy Israel. But today we look back at the attempts to wipe out God's people. The book of Esther records an event that happened around 400 BC in the reign of Xerxes in the Persian empire. And some of the Jews had been allowed to return to Israel and rebuild Israel and Jerusalem. But most of the Jews were still held captive in Persia And this is the setting of our story in the palace of Susa in the capital city of Persia. The main character as we've covered is King Xerxes, Queen Esther, Esther's uncle Mordecai, and the villain of the story, the prime minister, Haman. As I told you, Haman is an Amalekite. And they were the first tribe to oppose Israel when they approached the promised land. The Amalekites hatred for the Jew went back centuries, but Haman had a personal reason to hate the Jews. One of the king's guards was a Jewish man named Mordecai. Everyone else bowed down to Prime Minister Haman, but Mordecai refused to bow, and this infuriated him. In his arrogance, he hatched a plot. The plot would make it possible for him to murder Mordecai legally, and more than that, it would make it legal to murder every single Jew in the whole land of Persia, which you can do under an oligarchy, under a tyrant, but not in a constitutional republic. One of the reasons why America will be a little more successful than Canada with this convoy is because of states' rights and the protection of that in the seven articles of the Constitution, one particularly is states' rights. Haman convinced King Xerxes that the exiled Jews were his enemies and should all be exterminated. And to sweeten the deal, he told the king that all the Jewish wealth would be confiscated and a certain portion of it would end up in the king's treasury. The king didn't really want to be bothered with details and the king said the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. And that was Esther 3. And then he gave Haman his signet ring so he could make whatever decree he wanted and put the power in his hands. Haman issued a royal decree on March 7th, less than a year away. The people of Persia had permission to kill every Jew without penalty, and they could take all the Jews' possessions for themselves, and this decree was sent out across all 127 provinces of Persia, from the borders of Egypt to the borders of India. By the way, this is the peacock throne. The last to hold the peacock throne from this point was the Shah of Iran. And then a little illiterate cleric from France, Ayatollah Khomeini took over and what was once the great ally of America that sustained and held together the Middle East is now our greatest enemy as a result of the stupidity of what we did to dethrone the longest running throne in world history. The plot against Israel in the book of Esther never came to pass and the rescue of God's people came through The brave action of a heroine of the story which we've covered is Queen Esther. Esther started life as nothing more than a poor young Jewish exile. The way she rose to become the queen of Persia reads like a fairy tale. When the king decided to find a suitable queen, he sent out across the land for every lovely young woman to be brought before him in the royal palace. And Mordecai had a lovely cousin named Esther. He saw an opportunity to increase Jewish influence in the country. He insisted beautiful young Esther should enter the contest. She did, she won the king's heart. Uh. And that's Haman talking to Esther. Excuse me, that's Mordecai talking to Esther. And it was several years later when Mordecai came to Esther again in desperate request. Mordecai heard as we've covered in chapter four about Haman's royal death warrant. And he sent a message to Queen Esther in the palace. Mordecai asked her to go before the king to cancel the decree and Esther had replaced Queen Vashti as we covered uh, who had been banished for displeasing the king. And if I do what you're asking, I'll be signing my own death warrant basically is what was said and we covered this and these are the critical verses. So they told Mordecai Esther's words and Mordecai told them to Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. They're just gonna eat you last year. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from, other, from another place, but you and your father's house will perish and you know whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Let me tell you something. Do not think that you are safe when a tyrant wants to usurp authority and cancel the Bill of Rights in every one of the 27 amendments and runs roughshod over everything we hold dear and shutters your businesses and closes your churches and, and silences your children's schools. Don't think for a minute that you're gonna be unaffected. You may be able to hold your job for a season while these other brave men and women contend for your freedom, but they will ultimately come for you if you don't support them. It's that simple. A tyrant is only content when they own Everything. And this is not a tyranny, this is not an oligarchy. This is a constitutional republic that we must defend, and it's critical that we stand together, especially on behalf of the truckers and the (laughs) convoys. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are President Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The secret to to overcoming fear is to be willing to surrender it all. And once you give it all, you're no longer afraid. You're afraid because you think you can hold on to something. And a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. And if you think for a minute that you're going to be safe, like I said, they're just going to eat you last. The sooner you come to the realization that you're already dead. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. We're already dead. We've died to ourselves and we're alive to Christ. And what we do, we do for his will and his good pleasure. And the sooner we understand that, the freer we become because there's nothing that they can paralyze us with in regards to fear. We've already surrendered everything. If I perish, I perish. I don't care. Can you say the same thing? Or is there something so dear on this earth you're holding on to that the future of your children and your grandchildren don't matter? That you would be willing, listen, if we're willing to run up immoral debt and put it on the backs of our children, this is the only time in American history where the elderly have suppressed the children for the sake of their own safety, not the generation to come. We shutter their schools because we want to be safe. That is so selfish and unimaginable. The only time in American history. And we we cower in fear and God's come to set us free. And when somebody comes to a place where they're no longer afraid, and and she went before the Lord. Now listen, you can't do this without the strength of the Lord. Fasting and prayer is critical, and I'm so grateful for the folks who pray. And I can tell you this, that I wouldn't be standing here, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, I wouldn't be who I was today if it wasn't for the ability to go to somebody greater than myself and ask for some wisdom and strength and comfort and rest. God's good and there's nothing worth doing if you can do it apart from prayer. You may think prayer is trivial and you may just throw up a little prayer at dinner but the reality is I find myself so strengthened in his presence and the more I lay out to him all the issues and people come to me and they say, how can I pray for you? I ask for one thing every time is is wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God. God will give freely to him who asks. I've never done this before. I have no idea what I'm doing. That may scare a lot of you, but God does. He knows exactly what to do, and I ask Him, and He's really good about showing me and telling me. And sometimes, if I fail, He's really good at correcting me. And He's the same for all of us. And through all of it, in the economy of God's grace, even when we make a mistake, He works it together for good. And how He does that, I do not know, but He's so good. And it's so critical that we're, we're prayerful people right now. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways of apathy and inactivity, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Then, he didn't say if America, he said if my people, those who call upon my name, this is, this is given to us for such a time as this. Churchill said the man was cursed to have been born in uninteresting times. It's not true for us. We're alive in one of the most critical moments in in the Republic's history. And as far as I'm concerned, you're you're in one of the coolest places in the country. This this is a place where God wants to move. And I know it because he's taken the most unlikely people. Exactly. Told you often it's like the bar scene out the Star Wars. It is it is the island of lost toys. And if you if you don't think you qualify, there's the door. Seriously, go to wherever the smart people go because they're not here. <laughs> but you're but you're faithful. And one man and God constitutes a majority, and you're fearless because you've already surrendered. If I perish, I perish. You've already been through all the ridicule and the mockery and None of it's moved you. That's so encouraging to my heart. I remember what Major Winter said in the band of brothers. He was a great leader. He said, I wasn't a hero, but I served with a lot of them. I stand up every day behind this wooden stand or every Sunday. And I turn around and I see amazing men and women taking on ventures of faith that just blow my mind. They travel the country, they organize, they put their lives on the line, their fortunes, their lives, their sacred honor. I'm, I'm in the company of heroes and heroines The amazing thing is when you ask the Lord for wisdom and you go to the Lord and it seems as if it's impossible and the odds are stacked against you and they, they censor you and they silence you and they stifle you and then you go before the Lord who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. A sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. He has every hair on our head numbered and you go to this, this God of all creation and you, you approach him as, as Abba, Papa, Father and you you lay out your requests, your supplications, and your confusion. You praise him and you worship him, you adore him, you give thanksgiving for his blessings, and then you give your confession so that nothing separates you and that your relationship is clear. As it would be with a husband and wife, you don't want anything hindering. You want truth to be known. And the sincerity of your heart to be revealed. And then you pour out your supplications, your requests. And knowing his word, and you pray his word and it's it's yes and amen when you pray according to his promises. And that's why I ask for wisdom, because I know he'll give it freely to those who ask. And then he lays it out and, and and you you say, God, I don't I don't see a pathway. I see no way around this. I I don't see how with my physical eyes this could be accomplished and the odds are so overwhelming and then you start to watch the dominoes fall and the narrative change and you look and you say, I don't know how you did that but you are a remarkable God and as Esther fasts for three days and she prays and Mordecai and the Jews who are, have been given notice of this, they begin to beseech the living God and as they cry out to God, lo and behold Xerxes gets insomnia, he can't sleep, he's overwhelmed and he calls for the scrolls which are so boring it'll put anyone to sleep. That's why people listen to my sermons at night. <laughs> they cure insomnia and as, as he calls for the scrolls to be brought to him, it's fascinating what occurs with Mordecai, excuse me, with, with, with Xerxes he begins to read through this Persian history and they, they overhear the king's guards plotting to assassinate him and Mordecai saved him. He sees in the annals that's written that, that this had happened. He remembers it. He recalls it. He'd had trouble sleeping so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him and the part of the Persian history he read that night happened to be about Mordecai. Funny how God does that. It told about a time in the past when a man named Mordecai overheard two of the king's guards plotting to assassinate him. When the king read that Mordecai had exposed the plot and saved the king's life, he asked his servant, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Who is that in the outer court? And the king inquired as it happened and Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on a pole he had prepared. When it says hang, it's not by a noose, it's it's impaling him there's a lot of coincidence in the story it's called a God wink the king just happened to have insomnia he just happened to ask for the thing to be read they just happened to open to Mordecai and he wondered if a reward had been given just happened to be that Haman was nearby he's in the courtyard constructing a pole to kill Mordecai on and Xerxes is like what? God's like all I wanted you to do was ask me. I got this. That's all you need to do is ask. Be willing to surrender it all and trust me. And at that point, it's amazing what God does. Everything takes a a, a huge turn. And the gallows and the pole that Mordecai and the Jews were to be, killed on Haman was killed, reversed it. The plot was revealed. The Jews were saved. Esther was used, Mordecai was used. But the reality is the secret was the three days of fasting and prayer. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things you know not of. Come unto me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden it is light. Long before the sun would arise, Jesus would go to a solitary place and there commune with the Father. The Son of God put such an emphasis on prayer that the disciples who had walked with him for three years, who had witnessed him raise the dead, the blind would see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the mute would speak. He would walk on water. He would feed thousands with a Long John silver happy meal. A couple of fish and some loaves. They witnessed all those miracles. Basketfuls left over. Each one got to carry one. And the only thing that they ever asked Jesus to teach them, not once, but twice, the only thing they ever asked him to teach them was Lord, teach us how to pray because we know your public life of power is a result of your private life of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. It's an outline. It's an outline to put in perspective. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. we got work to do here. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own cares. You are wasting today's grace on tomorrow's problems. Relax. He'll take care of that when he needs to. You cross a raging river when you get to it. Quit allowing it to live rent free in your head. All it does is build Fear and that's the only weapon the enemy has. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And those things that easily beset me in those temptations, would you deliver me from those? Would you help me, God? No temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man, and when you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. He wants you to be free, free from being enslaved to your own sin and free from being enslaved by another man. Call on him he's a mighty God and he's come to set us free and the power of prayer is that which delivers not only your own human soul and that life of sin that so easily besets you but delivers an entire race of people from annihilation and genocide and he turns the tables on those who would do evil the trap that they set For the righteous, they have fallen into that trap themselves. That pit that they dug for the righteous, the wicked have fallen into it. And that's exactly what happens. Mordecai, who was to be hung on Haman's impaling spike. Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination, instead they hung Haman on it. The king ordered, so they hung Haman on the pole he set up for Mordecai and the king's anger subsided. Justice doesn't get any better than that. And justice is coming. Justice is coming for those who've been lying to us, those who've been abusing our children, those who have attacked our republic, those who have shuttered our churches, those who have quarantined the abused with their abusers, those who have cause the elderly to die alone and be injected by poisonous things that have aided and abetted the destruction of their life as they have attacked those that are infirmed, the elderly and the young. Justice is coming. And if not in this lifetime, the lifetime to come, and don't think for a minute that you will ever escape the God who doesn't sleep or slumber, there's no shadow in his turning. You'll give an accounting And if you wanna be part of the ash heap of history responsible for the billions who are dead, whose names are forgotten, of those despotic rulers who have enslaved and abused mankind created in the image of God, wake up. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. You have no idea what awaits you. Hell wasn't made for mankind. We choose to go there. There's a big battleship at the gates of hell that are stopping you and it's the cross of Christ saying, don't do this. We can be reconciled. It's only your pride that will allow you to enter into that miserable place. Come let us reason together though your sins are as scarlet. My blood will wash you as white as snow. I will cleanse you and forgive you. But call on me. For I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. John 14, no man comes to the Father but by me. It's it's exclusive, I and no other, Jesus said. There's no way around it. And the world will give an accounting. God judges nations. They come to him, as he says, make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make converts, he said make disciples, he didn't just say make disciples, he said make disciples of all nations, nations are boundaries, borders, constitutions, contending for the freedom of man or enslaving man, causing man to flourish and live and, and experience abundance, the wise restraints that make men free, applying restraints towards evil in order to pursue, to pursue excellence, or using the law and, 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 and devaluing the moral law and removing God from the equation so that the law is now in the hands of man and it's weaponized to enslave instead of set free. Those nations will be judged and they will say, Lord, we visited you in prison. We saw you when you were naked. We, we fed you when you were hungry. And he says, no, you didn't depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And for those that he would say, enter into your rest, they'd say, Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we visit you in prison? When you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Enter into thy rest, thy good and faithful servant. Nations will be judged. You think with your utopia plan that you're going to save the world. If you can just silence the opposing voice, but God gave speech to man to contend for freedom and to declare justice. And when you muzzle mankind, you will face consequences. When you silence speech, you will face consequences of the living God who spoke the world into existence. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt with man. In the beginning God said, let there be light and there was light. That is the power of the spoken Word. That's the power of truth. And no tyrant can muzzle it. No tyrant on any level. Can suppress the truth because the truth is never afraid of a lie and the bravery of mankind now stands to say truth is the most critical component in my life and if I perish I perish but my mouth will never be silenced ever and when I put these next slides up they will attempt to silence us And they took an obscure app called Rumble that didn't have any following and a homosexual by the name of Peter Thiel and a handful of others who believe in free speech have created Rumble and invested money in it. And now we have an alternative because mankind, the ability to speak truth, will always prevail. God will use the strangest of people to accomplish the greatest of things while we sit in our moral piety and decry them, they're putting their lives on the line. Somebody actually had the audacity to tell me that I was an abomination for allowing Scott Pressler to stand up here with me. On a Sunday night, when all he did was talk about politics, he doesn't subscribe subscribe to our faith, he never spoke the gospel, he never addressed that, it was a building to be used to talk about what he had accomplished. I had had taken time to explain it. In all three services, they showed up for the sole purpose of telling me I'm an abomination. So be it. There's the door. Is, Is that your world? Is that your world? That you justify your apathy and inactivity for a man who doesn't subscribe to your faith who is doing more for the context of liberty and truth and contending for your ability to speak that you would cancel him simply because of something he he refuses to even comment on publicly and you wanna make it an issue. Oh, be careful, be very careful. He knows where I stand on the positions he has and he knows he knows, and I know where he stands on the positions he holds. And we agree to disagree. I can judge the body of Christ. You say you're an orange tree, I wanna see some oranges. You'll know them by their fruits. Folks are standing now of the most unlikely sort. They're like the Samsons of the world, you can't teach Samson in Sunday school. There just isn't a lot of moral aspects to it. He was in a prostitute's bed all night and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That doesn't go well in Sunday school. <laughs> he went to go pay off a gambling debt and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he's in, he's in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. He was raised with a Nazarite vow. He was prophesied in his mother's womb to deliver God's people. Just like Jesus, prophesied in the womb. I mean, that's a pretty cool calling, Nazarite vow. That's like homeschooling. And the very first words out of his mouth, prophesied by God in the womb, raised with a Nazarite vow, the first words out of his mouth, that Philistine woman, go get her, I want her." <laughs> that guy went off the reservation. Seriously, the parents are like, "Oh my God, what happened?" Judges 14.4, what Samson's parents didn't realize was God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. He was uniquely equipped to contend with the Philistines and do what God's people were unwilling to do. And he's in the hall of faith. God takes unlikely people to accomplish great things. And he took this one man by the name of Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch was a Silicon Valley investor, and entrepreneur, very successful, liberal, left-leaning, He had taken both injections of the Moderna vaccine. And he began to look at the statistics. And he was beloved in the liberal community and as he began to take a look and to realize the censorship and all that was taking place, he was shocked to realize they would cancel him. They'll eat you last. He He looks at these facts, and one of them in particular is a telltale blood clots that are found by the embalmers. These are the folks, the last folks to touch the body when it dies, the embalmers. And they can't get the embalming fluid in because of the massive blood clots that they haven't seen in the history of the country. In the last 30 days, one embalmer in particular said, 93% of the people that have been brought into them who have been vaccinated, I cannot embalm them because of the clots that are inundating their body. It's a, a number of substack articles that he's written. He was on Charlie Kirk's show. He's an amazing guy. Confirm most everyone are noticing these telltale clots since January of 2021. It was posted on a private chat with 14,000 embalmers on February 11th. Over half the deaths seen by the, this one funeral director were likely caused by COVID vaccine. 65% of cases seen by Richard Hirschman have these clots. That's February 7th. The embalmer reveals 93% of cases uh, died from the vaccine. Anna Foster reveals that 93% of the cases she has seen recently have the telltale clots. Uh, there's a link to the Jane Ruby interview. You can find this all on the substack. It's it's And it's all, it's all documented and footnoted. Embalmers find these veins and arteries absolutely clogged. In particular, in the Hirschman article, he says that I published on February 7th, I wrote that Nassim Ferdowsi, uh, was doing a fact check for PolitiFact. I went even further, I predicted what she would say and I pointed out the reason her arguments were completely wrong and didn't fit the facts. Just two days after I wrote that on February 9th for Dowsey's uh, fact check was published by PolitiFact and it had all the defects that I originally outlined. The Pointner Institute published a version of her fact check on February 10th as well entitled, there's no scientific evidence that vaccines are responsible for strange blood clots observed by bombers. In short, the fact check failed to explain and observed evidence. It didn't address any of the points I had made two days earlier. None of them want to debate him or any of the doctors. None of them, especially Dr. Malone. We now have confirmed public health emergency here. Anyone who disagrees with that had better be able to address the points that he had made in his earlier article, otherwise they're willfully disregarding the facts. This is a smoking gun that people are dealing with. Interesting, Indiana... Life insurance CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. This is by Margaret Menge, the center square contributor, January 1st, 2022. And what we saw just in a third quarter, we're seeing it continue into fourth quarter is that the death rates are up 40% over what they uh, over what they were pre-pandemic, he said. Just to give you an idea of how bad that is, a three sigma or one and 200 year catas- cat- cat- uh, catastrophe would be 10% increase over pre-pandemic. He said, so 40% is just unheard of. The numbers in the Denmark study described below are now confirmed by the government data from Germany showing the vaccinated people are eight times more likely to develop Omicron than the unvaccinated people. This is not surprising since a paper from uh, from Germany showed the same thing. The more you vaccinate, the worse it gets. On COVID vaccines, why they cannot work and irrefutable evidence of their causation role in deaths after vaccination and the video about that paper. If the vaccines don't kill you, they will leave you weaker. Over 90% of the deaths investigated after vaccination were found to have been caused by the vaccines. There is no other explanation. You don't hear that. They withhold and the only two peer-reviewed studies, double-blind studies dealing with masks and the vaccine from the manufacturers themselves all showed a 24% greater danger to the vaccinated as opposed to the placebo side. You don't hear any of this. And we just, like lemmings, run off the cliff. But God's not gonna put up with this. It's not gonna happen to our children. The reason why they need to get into your children is because they've got to get it on the vaccine approved list so they don't have to have any liability. They've made billions and they're going to continue to do that. And one of my favorite presidents was the one responsible for taking away the liability from the manufacturers. Ronald Reagan made me sad. He also signed no fault divorce. Everybody's got their flaws. Those are some big ones. But, folks, it's not right, left, or center. It's called life and genocide and destruction and sickness and illness to our children. More children have died from the vaccine than COVID itself. And so, those are unpopular statistics. We've all been indoctrinated. It irks you, it frustrates you, some. Others have done their homework. Hard to find, because we live in a world of censorship. But now, this is the time that we know and we have to make a decision because people's lives are on the line and so is their freedom. And we're watching as men and women are laying down their lives or fortunes and their sacred honor for the sole purpose of these folks who were once our heroes are now zeros and being canceled, we must contend for our neighbor. We must stand for them. This is that Esther moment. This is the privilege that you've been born for such a time as this. And everybody has a corner of the stretcher they can carry. And you know what it is. But the only reason you won't carry it is because you are deceived to think that they're not gonna eat you. They'll just come for you last. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Truth is the winning combination and it's a great place to be because God honors those and he makes it happen and then you get to watch the seas part. You get to watch miraculous transformation and the narrative change in your favor. Stand. Stand and watch what God will do. And you will be amazed. I hate to call the men in the room an Esther, but hey. It's an Esther moment. God will do great things. Watch the deliverance of the hand of God. And don't be afraid to stand and do your part because it'll strengthen your faith and bless you more than you'll ever know. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for this day, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you for the way in which you take evil and you turn it for good, With the enemy meant for evil. Lord, only you can do that. And so Lord, for this Esther moment, this idea of fasting and prayer, to bathe this in prayer and to pray for those who are standing and to be encouragement to them and that together we would stand, that they would not divide us and we would endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, that we would contend for the least of these and we would fight for our neighbor's freedom and the protection of their children and the liberty that you've given to man. I thank you for this fellowship of believers in this room of heroes and heroines. And God, bless them, protect them, inspire them to your glory. Lord Jesus, we do all this for your matchless mighty name, for you and you alone are the way, the truth and the life. We honor you, we love you and we thank you for you have come to set the captives free. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. God bless you all.